listening to the Snippets Career Podcast. Today's guest is Luke Brown. Luke applied for the Australian Air Force, but got knocked back and pursued a career in engineering in the Air Force. Uh, Josh here from uh, the Snippets Podcast, the careers podcast for all your career needs. Um, today we're joined with uh, Luke Brown. I hope I got that right. Um, and okay. Yeah, do you want to introduce yourself, Luke, and give us a bit of a background of who Luke is for everyone out there? Yeah, good one. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, yeah, so my background, I uh, grew up in Brisbane, um, went to school in the uh, in the Redlands, uh, always had a pretty keen interest in like technical things. I always said if it's got a motor and it goes fast, I always thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, like sort of the math physics route, wasn't super good at it, but I really liked the application of it, right? So I think that's kind of important to people. I always say to people, you know, you know, like do it, do what you're interested in. Even if you're not super great at it, you can build the skills along the way. Um, so for me, uh, I thought I wanted to be an engineer when I was probably, I think it was around grade eight. I was pretty keen on the idea and then actually applied to the Air Force uh, as a pilot. Now I, um, yeah, I just thought that that career path would be great, but I actually got knocked back because I had, uh, I had asthma as a child and, um, yeah, just like I didn't contest the recruiting process at the time, which I do tell people now. I'm like, if you're serious about a certain path, um, don't, you know, uh, don't take the first no for an answer. Like always look at your alternate options because sometimes there are ways to, to get around certain things. So anyway, I applied as an engineer, uh, to the Air Force. That was kind of my, my secondary. And, uh, yeah, I guess like in hindsight, I think that was probably the right, the right path for me. So from there, uh, left school, went to the Australian Defence Force Academy, which is the military academy located down in Canberra. Um, they've got a yeah great facility there. It's kind of the, the combination of your university studies, the military training, sort of all smashed into the into the one experience, which is really cool. So I left straight from school to go there. Did uh, three years of of officer training there in the Air Force as an engineering officer, and then went on to finish my my last year of um, of engineering in 2015 uh, and then posted out to my first base uh, from there. And then, yeah, it's been a, a journey from there, a few different jobs, uh, lots of different experience, lots of different experiences, which, um, yeah, that's uh, always good to look back on. So no, it's been a really good journey. Yeah. Beautiful. I love how you uh, gave it to me straight away, exactly who you are, what you've been doing. Uh, it's great. So mate, how would you, I guess, wrap up your career so far in in one sentence if you had to give me one sentence what would you say interesting i don't know i'm just i'm just curious you know like there's uh you know the the defense and defense industry um yeah there's just there's just lots of cool stuff going on you know like i had the opportunity to work with fighter jets uh for a couple of years so uh, one of my jobs was more technical like looking at engines and engine maintenance and, uh, yeah, sort of got the opportunity to, yeah, to sort of like dive in, understand how they work, you know, understand, you know, the different risks with operating and, and, uh, things that you need to consider and did, yeah, a bunch of technical stuff there and then moved more into the operational space. Um, so I worked in what we call an operational squadron, um, looking at, at maintenance and operations and how to take a squadron overseas on exercise and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and now I'm sort of looking at policy. So, yeah, I guess it's just, uh, you know, find stuff that is, um, you can really sort of 
dig into, right? Like you sort of enjoy the, the, um, yeah, the intellectual process of, for me, like I really like the, the idea, I guess, and contributing to the team. Like I like being a team player. So I think that's been a really big component of like, of, um, of what I enjoy about it is like, you are really kind of like a big, big football team looking to, to kick goals together, which I've always really enjoyed. But yeah, I think interesting is probably the, the biggest thing, you know, that I'm, uh, be, that I'd be able to say over those last few years. Beautiful. Love it. That sums it up pretty much perfectly. Uh, I think on, on that, like when you started talking, you, you said, I remember that you were going into the Air Force. Well, that was your plan, obviously, originally. Mm. With, with your asthma and that setback, uh, were there any learnings that you got from that or uh, anything from hindsight of that happening that really have influenced who you are today? Yeah, I think, you know, looking back on it, uh, you know, and the learnings that I've taken from that and just, I think talking to other people, you know, once I got into the military was, um, was yeah, just, just sometimes understanding that sometimes that first no, you don't always need to take it, you know, as, as gospel, right? I've since found out, you know, other people joined the military with, you know, worse asthma conditions than me. I actually had to do an irritant test where they, uh, you inhale a bunch of irritants into your lungs and then they test your breath capacity to make sure, you know, you can actually, um, yeah, that you're not at risk of, of asthma attack or something like that. And I actually did that and I passed and it was fine, right? And so I think I've realized in hindsight, um, you know, that I, I could have actually gone down that path. Now, you know, it depends how you look at it, right? Because I think where I, from where I'm at now and the things that I'm doing at now and, and as I look into the future, I actually think, you know, engineering is probably more of a, um, the right career path for me. You know, like, you know, I just think the, the lifestyle of, of, of engineering and the different, um, different things that I can use my experience to springboard into, um, that's been a really big, uh, plus for me as well in, in hindsight. Now, there's certainly, you know, plenty of different career paths you can take as a pilot. Um, but yeah, I guess like things that I've learned along the way, I'm like, you know, this is a this is a pretty good place to be, and I think you know the things that are on the horizon in the future, just with regards to just all the different stuff that you know is going on: space, cyber, hypersonic missiles, uh, you know, unmanned aerial aerial vehicles. Uh, yeah, there's just there's just a lot on the horizon. So I don't know, I think uh, where I'm at is yeah, it's it's not a bad place to be, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just um, if it's really what you want at that time, then you can do a lot of different things to find ways around that initial roadblock. And I think that's something, you know, that's been a really important lesson for me to, to, um, yeah, not just to give up too easily uh, and not just to accept the first uh, hand of cards that you get dealt. Yeah. Love it. Sweet. Well, in terms of that roadblock, how, how did you take that in terms of, transitioning your career so obviously you had your ideas set on doing the air force mm. and can you remember back to that point where you're like oh i can't be a pilot like what what's next can you remember that point were you in disarray were you like oh i don't know what i'm gonna do like this is the end or you know i guess how what was your perspective at that point can you remember that point in your life i actually can um because I remembered I was actually studying 
at that very time, and this was back, I think, when we used more like home phones, right? So I remember I was like sitting right next to the phone and I was doing all my study and I was like, and it was all pilot centric. I was looking at all the different aircraft in Air Force and what you could fly and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I'll never forget. I took that phone call and it just felt like, yeah, it just felt like my dreams had been crushed. And I was like, I was pretty upset. Um, you know, I was like 16, 17 roughly at the time. And I was like, man, that's, uh, yeah, it was, I guess it was kind of like one of my first real experiences in the world of like, you know, sometimes don't, things don't always go to plan, you know, as you want at that particular time, right? So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's just about seeing, you know, working with, with what you got, right? Like I, I, um, you know, the engineering aspect for me, it was actually something that I was interested in, you know, first and then the pilot thing kind of, kind of came after that. Um, so yeah, I guess like, uh, Air Force, I, I'd kind of, I, I'd been exposed to, uh, what was available and the different opportunities that were there. And, and that was, I guess, kind of the, the priority for me. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily like from a military family, but just the experience seemed fine being able to do, uh, military training and, you know, and, and to leave home and do something different. I think it was like really great experience for me, but, um, yeah, it definitely required me, I guess, to just like refocus my energy, uh, and, and keep studying, right? Actually, I had to keep studying for the, um, the selection board and the process that I was going through. So yeah, I really had to like readjust. And that was, that was a good exercise for me, I guess, to just sort of, to keep persisting, you know, in the face of something that is, uh, not necessarily what you wanted to see at that given time. Yeah, cool. Cool. Oh, that's great, mate. I think, uh, from from when I've seen you, you've come so far and you've done so many different things and it's exciting to hear because I think I haven't seen you in so long and it's it's really cool mm. to see where you've come. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on was the... Um, this is completely different to the career stuff, but it just popped in my head. Um, mm. The hard 75 challenge you did. I know you... Okay, Luke, for everyone out there, Luke's a pretty fit bloke. Um, loves to get out there and do his fitness. I always see you on Facebook and stuff like that, doing random stuff. Um, but the hard seventy five thing was something that I was like, "This is pretty cool." Um, do you want to tell us tell us a little bit about that and, and what you did? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, me doing random stuff all the time is definitely uh, correct. You know, I get uh, coaxed into all sorts of weird stuff by my friends and I do some coaching of my own as well. So, uh, yeah, so me and a friend, uh, a friend Joel and I, we actually, we've uh, made a charity event um, called 48 for Mates. Um, so that is, uh, it's, an, it's an adaptation of uh, the David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. And so what that is, uh, his challenge is four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Um, which is about seven something kilometers, right? So, uh, Joel and I, we'd been doing a little bit of running, uh, the start of 2020. And, uh, that challenge normally happens, you know, uh, early, earlier in the year in 2020. And so I saw that and I was like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I saw some friends of mine do it. And I was chatting with Joel and I was like, Hey, do you want to, like, do you want to give this a crack and sort of adapt it, uh, for our own, you know, you know, adapt it for what we want it to be. And yeah, so we, we, we did that. And it was actually like, it was quite an experience because I um, didn't know a lot about running. I wasn't really training correctly and I actually overtrained really badly coming into that event. So that event, uh, the numbers on that were 
10 kilometers every four hours for 48 hours. Um, and we had, I think that year it was, I think it was 3000 push-ups like over the 48 hours. So I think it was 250 push-ups every four hours, 48 hours. So you're on about sort of a slightly less than two hour work cycle, two hour rest cycle for the, for the 12 sort of intervals. Now, you know, obviously like compared to big dog ultra marathon endurance runners, like, you know, this is not necessarily all that difficult, but for us, like it was, uh, it was pretty tough and overtraining coming into that event. I very specifically remember I was at the end of the third leg. So it was about midnight. We started in the afternoon at about midnight. I come back and finish on about 30 Ks in this, you know, 120 K effort. And I was, broken man i was i was not in good shape i'd overtrained my achilles coming into this yeah and i was just like this is this is not going to be pretty like this is not gonna be fun and um yeah i just remember thinking at that time i was like look it doesn't it's it's not going to go the way i wanted to go but you got to finish like just get it done you know however you need to get it done so i had to walk a bunch of it uh managed to run a little bit of it but got it done um, and then Joel and I actually, we did it again with some friends of ours, uh, last year in 2021. So a year on, uh, we had a little bit more distance. We, um, we added some pull-ups, a few extra push-ups and, uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot smoother. I sort of learned a lot from that previous year and then I uh, took that into the following year and, um, yeah, we're still doing all sorts of random stuff. Joel's coached me into a hundred K trail race in may so um yeah hopefully i can survive that one as well but it's all good fun Where, whereabouts is that that what you say a trail race is that a trail run you're talking about yeah yeah so it's in the blue mountains so the event's called uh uta 100 so it's um looks super super beautiful super scenic but um i don't know how much of that i'll be able to take in at the uh the back half of the race we'll see how we go yeah that's it all you gotta what what's the time that you got to finish it in Oh, mate, it's like, I mean, you got 28 hours to finish it. So, uh, look, hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the right side of that. Um, but yeah, plenty of time to finish it. It'll just be about, uh, yeah, just like going out, doing your best, seeing what you're capable of. And, um, yeah, hopefully just like finishing without completely busting up anything too bad. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's always what you want. (laughs) Anyway, that's good. Yeah. So, in terms of your overtraining, what happened? Like, what do you mean by overtraining? Is it you you pulled your Achilles, or you just you were really fatigued? What kind of happened there? Yeah, it was like so. I came from a background of training, done a bunch of you know F forty five and um, CrossFit style training. The philosophy of that is, you know, you get in, you do forty five minutes, more or less. You know, you go hell for leather, you go as hard as you can then you're done, right? You know, you go home, shower up, you know, do your thing. That does not apply to running, my friend. I went out and ran way too fast, way too much. And, um, you know, the thing with, with interval training is you're using lots of different parts of your body, right? You know, you're using your chest, your back, your legs, all sorts of different stuff. But with running, you know, you use pretty specific things over and over again, right? So if you've got weak spots, they're going to show up pretty quickly and you've got you've to load your body in such a way where you're training the right systems at the right time. So when you're running at a slower pace, you're building, I guess what they call is your cardiac base, right? Like how efficiently you can process oxygen. Um, and on that, like, you know, upper sort of intensity, you're training, you know, different, uh, different things in your body. So how you actually get quicker is not what I was doing. Like I thought if I ran faster, 
I'm going to get faster, right? Or I'm going to get like fitter. Uh, and if you're doing distance, like I guess that is, you know, that might be the case for shorter stuff, maybe maybe 800 meters. I've never been a track runner. I only ever really want to do longer stuff. Um, but yeah, I just was completely naive and inexperienced. And yeah, I just overtrained and that volume sneaks up on you quite quickly. So I, um, I, I was, yeah, I was injured. I was sore before I even realized that just because I was over enthusiastic, like trying to get as much training in as possible in the lead up to the race. Right. And, um, I said something the other day to my friend because we were talking about UTA and I was like, mate, I would rather be underprepared than injured. And he, he was like, that's weird, but it's actually true. <laughs> Uh, you know, because like, at least if you're not injured, then at least you can rock up to the start line and give it a proper crack. But yeah, if you overcook it in the lead up to a race, it can be, yeah, it can just be devastating for your prep. So I always tell people now, I'm like, just do whatever you've been doing and just keep it consistent. Just bump it up slowly because if you try and spike it too quickly, your body, you know, just, it takes time to adapt to this sort of stuff. So now I try to keep it all sort of smooth and steady and consistent. And that seems to be a better way to go about it rather than, you know, hundred kilometers one week and zero the next. So That's recommend it. it. That's it. No, I think, uh, touching on that when you, I guess when you're in the race too, you just got all that adrenaline, you know, it's like when you do a half marathon and you're like, mm. you've just got all those people around you, you just run quicker. It just, it just happens. It's natural. Mm. I think like you get so much adrenaline mm. and you're like, this dude's running faster than me. I better run a little bit quicker. <laughs> or like people are passing yeah. and you're like, that person just passed me. What? I'm going to keep running. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of, we'll get, we'll get back to the career stuff because I love fitness too. So I, I love to, yeah, yeah. I guess, chat about what people are interested in too. Cause I think, you know, that's a big part of your career too. You know, you got to be involved in mm. other things outside of um, your, just your career. So in terms of roadblocks, are there, is, has there been any other significant roadblocks that you've had throughout your career or um, I guess, yeah, life that's kind of impact that, impacted your career potentially? Mm. Yeah, I think there was a lot of things I learned. I had a job in 2019 to 2020 um, where I was, I was a junior officer at, a, you know, at an operational squadron and, um, yeah, in those positions – you actually get quite a lot of responsibility relatively early in your career, right? And that's not necessarily given on uh, merit. So, you know, you get some people in those positions that do really well and, you know, they they have a really good attitude about it and some people who uh, don't necessarily treat that, that responsibility with the respect that it deserves. So, you know, in my particular position there, I, was, I had a team of about, you know, 50 technicians that I was working with um, who, you know, like the organizational purposes reported to me even though I didn't I didn't necessarily see it that way right I saw us working as a team working together to achieve outcomes but you know on paper like I had a team of, of 50 people right and you have to make decisions around that you have to consider things and you have to you know make decisions that affect people right and um look I actually I, I came into the organization very humble like very keen to learn very keen to understand um and, and that, that's good. You, you 100% need to do that, I think, when you come into an organization because if you take the, um, the stance of a student and you want to understand, you build relationships better. People, you know, they, uh, they see that, you know, they can work with you, that you're not too stubborn. You know, that's, that, that part, I think, was, was okay for me. Where it was actually interesting was that 
I realized that if I did that too much, I was going to become a walking amalgamation of everyone's opinion. Now, if I, if I did that, if I took that humility too far, then I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't back myself with my own decisions and I wouldn't trust my own decision making to, to make a decision right. And this was, um, it kind of came to a little bit of a head. I changed the, the, the maintenance workforce rostering structure, right? So the way it was, um, I guess to summarize, the way it was was more uh, stable and predictable. And the way I wanted it to be was a little bit more agile, took a little bit more planning, but, you know, got the most out of your maintenance resources, right? And there were some people that were, you know, that were really for it. And, th- and there were some people that were really against it, right? Uh, against the decision and the, the plan that I had. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, and we see this play out in the media and the, and the broader culture all the time. It's the dissenting voice that's the loudest, right? It's never the agreeing voice that says, you know, that, that's going to like back you a hundred percent. It's always the, you know, the dissenting voice, the people that disagree. And everyone's entitled to their opinion, right? It's not about like who's right or who's wrong. But for me, I had to actually understand and I had a boss say to me, he was like, look, you don't like, it's good to justify yourself, but you don't always need to justify, you know, every single specific thing of your plan in order to just make a decision, right? Like sometimes, you know, they say that, yeah, I don't know if this is just a military thing or it's a broader thing, but a good decision, uh, an 80% correct decision made at the right time is better than a hundred percent correct decision made too late. And so for me, I think I'd had to really find this balance of like, okay, I really need to listen to people and I need to understand, you know, people with a lot more experience than me who are a lot better, you know, trained than me. Um, but at the same time, I actually need to, I need to learn to back myself here and, you know, and then if I'm wrong, you can fall on your sword, right? Like that's okay as well. That, you know, those sorts of positions are built so that it's never just the one person making decisions that's going to make the organization fall over. Um, but yeah, finding, striking that balance, I think is, um, you know, particularly as you just, as you start to get into management leadership positions is, um, yeah, it's a really, really important one to get right. I think. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point and very valid. Because uh, and I I can attest to that too because I I'm probably the same. Like you can get a hundred decisions and they're all going to be different. Well, opinions. Sorry, I shouldn't say decisions. A hundred different opinions mm. about a topic or something, but at the end of the day, you're going to make a decision. Mm. So I love that 80, 80 20 rule. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. No Pareto. How beautiful. Okay, I've got another one for you. Uh, what, in terms of entering into the, like, defense force, is there any recommendations that you'd have to people that are starting out? Say, for example, you're 16, 17, looking to get into the defense force. What, what, would, you, what would be your advice for them? Yeah. I guess um, just to like sidestep for a moment, I was with my sister, I think maybe like 18 months ago. And this was, she was in year 12. She's that, you know, sort of in the, the first couple of months of year 12. And, and um, we blocked out some time. We were like, look, let's just sit down and, and let's, just, let's just talk about stuff, right? Like talk about what you're thinking, talking about where your skills are. Now, you know, you can take a very linear approach to figure out what you want to do, right? It's like, you know, what, 
know, what do I like? You know, like what of all that, like all that sort of stuff, what subjects am I doing? What am I good at? You know, that, that's all helpful. Um, but I guess one thing you know, I was saying to my parents and also to my sister is like, you know, what is it? What's the 5% about any given job where you're like, that is super awesome. Like that is super fun. You know, and for, if you're a, you know, if you're a fighter pilot, obviously like I've worked with fighter pilots, they do a lot of hard work. Like they do a lot of really hard work, mission planning, admin training, you know, and they're always, you know, they've always got to hold a high standard. They're controlling multi-million dollar aircraft, you know, a lot of actual like stress with that job. But obviously the, the super cool part is like they're operating a, you know, incredible multi-million dollar aircraft, right? And that to them is just like so, so amazing. You know, for someone who's a doctor, it might be like, man, the fact that they're, you know, helping someone with their health to get an outcome that they just absolutely couldn't achieve with modern medicine, you know, that that side of things. Or maybe it's the innovation side of things. They see where the industry's going there. It's like, you know what, that is actually like so incredible. I'd love to be a part of that. You know, and for me, like being an engineer, you know, kind of like I said, it's about, you know, playing with toys, seeing cool stuff. If it's, and, and I see, you know, where my industry's going and it's like, wow, there's so much super cool, amazing things on the horizon. And I kind of like being a part of that and looking a little bit down the road. Uh, I think that's true of, of most professions, right? Like I think there's an element of, of, you know, what's that like 5% that you're just like, man, you know, that's worth it, you know? And the, oh, there's some jobs where like the awesome stuff extends way greater than that. Like it can be, you know, it can be awesome a lot of the time, right? Like you talk to some people and they're just like, you know, this is, you know, I just love like every day, right? Now, I think that's relatively rare. I think most people, you know, there's some days where they're like, man, that was actually like incredible. And there's some days like oh, I could, I could take it or leave it. So I think, you know, just finding like, you know, there's stuff that interests you, but it's like, man, what excites you? Like what, you know, what do you think about it? And you're just like, man, that's, that's, that's super cool. Like that's awesome. You know, I think for that, and there's so many, like, I don't know, there's so many different things in defense that, I just like cool, you know, and they're just really cool. Like I've got a friend, he's a commando, you know, he jumps out of helicopters on ropes and, and shoots rocket launches and all sorts of stuff, right? Like it's fun, you know, I, I, there's linguists, there's intelligence officers. So I think just like, you know, when you watch a movie or when your mind just wanders, like, man, what do you just, what do you, what do you dream about? What do you think about? And I think that's a relatively good guide on, perhaps just like starting out looking at the different jobs that you can do in defense or like even in the wider workforce, right? Yeah, definitely. I I love that. What do you dream about? Um, that's, that's a great one. And what excites you? So my question for you then, Luke, is what do you dream about? What do you, what gets you excited then? If you wrap it up in one sentence, what would you say? Oh, I think just seeing honestly what, people come up with it's just wild you know i see you know at, you know the particular sort of growth sectors in in engineering at the moment um you know there's there's no surprises there right space uh ai cyber um you know and, and hypersonic stuff and uas like there's a lot of different technical fields that that come up and i think innovation innovation to me is just it's just incredible, like seeing what the best minds, when they come together, like what they can come up with, right? Uh, I just think, yeah, just the, like what we've been able to achieve over the last, uh, you know, the, ex the exponential over the last 150 years, when I re like really think about it, it's just mind boggling, right? Like if you'd showed someone 
from the early 1800s, a modern fighter jet. It is witchcraft, absolute witchcraft. And I've been fortunate enough to sit in the back seat of one and go for a flight. And this particular one actually had a, a stick in the back seat and a throttle in the back seat. So I actually had the opportunity to, to control the aircraft in a safe way. And it's just absolutely mind-boggling how clever the aircraft is at just keeping it stable, keeping uh, and and intuitively doing what you're instructing it to do. It's absolutely it's absolutely insane. And so I project that out over a, another 100 years. You know, I think you and I, we could both probably expect to live at least another 50 years, right? I think that's probably within the realm of of what's to be expected. It probably takes about 80, 85. And I just think like what's capable in that time frame is just, uh, is again, it's a whole nother step up the, the exponential ladder of like what we've been able to achieve, right? Moore's law says that the computer guys will correct me on this, but I think computing power historically has doubled every 18 months. I think that's roughly it, right? And if you project that out, I think there is there is a, a limitation in physics that perhaps we might hit, but I don't think we've hit it yet, right? Look at quantum computing and the amount of processing power that is like possible in that in that realm, and it just gets like real wild real quickly. So, yeah, that innovation piece I just think is, is super exciting. And looking what's on the horizon, I think yeah, the next uh, you know the next time ahead that we're looking at, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. That's it. It's pretty unbelievable to see, like, see how far we have come, uh, and mm. yeah, mate. Just I, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit nervous to be honest with you. I'm like, what's next? I'm just waiting for you know the chips in the arm and that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna get controlled. I'm I'm not keen for that stuff. I'm always like, I'm the person that's on their phone. You know, when you're on like you're on an app and it's like mm. um, this app's trying to get some details from me, and you're like. Do not collect. Do not collect. I'm I'm that person <laughs> always. Anyway, yeah, um, good, beautiful. Well, I got one last question for you. This is nice and easy. Well, I hope it's going to be easy. Um, what's your favorite book or podcast or anything like that you'd recommend to everyone? Doesn't have to be careers related. Could be about life. Could be um, a fiction book. I don't know. It could be uh, whatever. Whatever you want. Mm. Mate, that's such a tough one. Podcast wise, I think uh, I I personally listen to a lot of the Tim Ferriss show. I just find the breadth of guests that he has on, and um, just kind of the alternate angle that he takes on a lot of things. It kind of it can really uh, uh, bring out some. Um, yeah, he's, he's really good at just bringing out uh, a lot of different aspects of people, and you kind of get a bit of an insight into yeah so many different areas of his guests so i definitely recommend that books is, is such a tough one because it depends who i'm recommending to but one that springs to mind that i've been flicking through recently thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman um it's uh yeah i'm super interested in like decision making and decision bias and yeah i've done a bunch of reading uh over the years and probably the main thing that stuck is uh, reading that you know, how easily we can be fooled uh, and how easily we can, we can, our minds can be tricked because, you know, our minds trying to conserve energy. They don't always have time to process all the details in our environment. And uh, even just developing an appreciation for that, I think is, uh, has been uh, really cool. But yeah, there's, there's, there's too many books out there, but uh, I'll go with that one for now. Yeah. Beautiful. No, I love that book. I've read that one actually. Uh, 
I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll have to I'll have to get it out again because I read it so long ago. Because that's that's an old oldish mm. book, not super old, but yeah, I read it for the first time. I think probably four or five years ago, and I sort of just flick through it every now and then. I'm like, ah, forgotten that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But anyway, mate, thanks so much for the for the catch up. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it was great to chat, man. Thank you for listening to another Snippets podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for more career content.